Hey, I'm Kale from Improv Theatre Sydney. You're listening to the Improv Conspiracy Podcast. And this is me and Bronny talking about player problems versus audience problems. Of Conspiracy Podcast with your host, Bronnie. Hello there, my friends. Welcome to another episode of the Improv Conspiracy Podcast and another great yarn about the art form that is improvised comedy, improvised theatre, improvised acting, all of that good stuff. This time with Kale Bain, the Managing Director of Improv Theatre Sydney and an expert improviser who's been uh, treading the boards since 1988. That I was three. That's wild to me. I still hadn't even gotten my favorite Wolverine figurine at three. I don't think I even had my, um, my bubblegum shoes. Were they bubblegum shoes? Anyway, those are my first memories. <laughs> A figurine and... A pair of shoes that my mum bought me just so that I wouldn't get upset that, that uh, my brother got Converse and I got nothing. So I think I got bubble gummers. That's what they're called. I got them. Probably at Target or something, which is fine. No disrespect to my mum. She was doing what she could. Anyway, that's how long Kale's been improvising and it was so cool to talk to him. He's got a wealth of knowledge and uh, is just a charismatic fella who was a delight to chat to um and what a treat you know what a treat zoom is to be able to talk to someone in sydney <laughs> technology uh i didn't know I, I didn't know i was about to go down the route of um praising tech anyway this is nonsense this is a nonsense line of thinking here's kale bain on audience problems versus player problems I guess I have strong feelings. Something that I always communicate to my students is the distinction between audience problems and player problems or like show problems and player problems. Because they, so many times I hear questions from players and shows or people who are workshopping a show or even certainly myself, I've, I've done this myself where you're wondering about what's what's best for the show and so many times the question is will have no bearing on the audience's experience and or, or even the like ensemble's experience and so many times that question is like rooted in like how can i be the most funny <laughs> so i like once i started noticing this in classes and certainly Again, like everything I have find problematic with anybody is I'm a victim of doing myself. <laughs> um, I, but once I started noticing the pattern of people like asking questions about like, you know, what if we swept this way or what if we edited scenes this way? You know, what if I stood here and stood there? I mean, these are all things that are valid questions if they help the show if they improve everyone's collective experience if it's just about you know 
how is it best for you? I, I often don't care about that. Not that I should give a proviso on this, that I want everybody to have the most fun, but I think that so many times people equate the most fun with being the most fine-tuned player. And improv is not a fine-tuned art. You know, if it was, we would write it down and refine it and refine it and refine it. And I think, so I gave a rant, Riley Connell ran these, it's rants. And I gave my rant there about students asking for personal feedback, personalized feedback. Because so often I would, I myself would do this when I was first up and coming, I would ask for personal feedback and I would, looking back at it, I would realize, oh, there was so much in the class that I actually wasn't picking up on because I was like, oh, that he's not talking or he or she aren't talking about me. They're not talking about me. They're talking about that person over there. But that, there wasn't, that wasn't something that I would pick up on. So I guess the overarching theme between these two concepts of like, don't worry about asking for personal feedback, figure out what's an audience problem versus a player problem are is what your attention on yourself or the product and the people around you? And that, like when I see people, you know, you've seen people like this, people who are always outward focused, people who are always like, hey, I'm playing with you and I'm playing with you. And like, hey, how about you audience? Those people are a constant joy and, and you can just see the fun that they have. Whereas you you see people and certainly like everybody has their moments where they're on stage and they're just like in their heads and they're like, oh, I, I'm playing like this or I should try doing like this. Um, and, you know, that's not constructive for anybody. And, and I think as, as a side note to this, one of the people that, one of the groups of people who actually see this the best and are the best to ask about show problems whether they're player problems or audience problems, are often techs. If you have a if you have the luxury of having a tech who's not a player, whose who's, who's exclusive domain is running tech, they will be able to see the show more as the audience would and understand what would make the show most efficient at getting across what the show is trying to do. I like encourage people to speak to their texts and see if their texts, what their texts think about the show, because I would trust a text opinion often more than I would <laughs> some, some players. I remember uh, years and years ago, I was teaching a, a Harold class. And I'm, I don't know if this speaks to what you're talking about, but uh, um, you made me think of it anyway. It was the, it was week one of this Harold class, and I just asked what everyone's excited about to uh, with learning the Harold. And one student, um, she said, uh, "I'm really excited um, to finally understand what's happening on Thursday nights," which was our Harold night. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, that's that's our fault." That's awful. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I hate that so much. Yeah, I like. And it's it's does this awfully. I, I I like the way that I teach the Herald because I think the Herald is an awesome teaching mechanism, mm -hmm. awful show mechanism. Just fucking it's it's like 
so exclusive of audiences. <laughs> yeah. So just like it's it's confusing and bewildering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's a perfect example, I think, because so many times people are thinking about Harold as the form. Yeah. And that's the that's the worst way to think about Harold. Yeah. As like a a structured structure. Yeah. As opposed to like this opportunity to explore different ideas in different mm, ways. Mm, yeah. Because you can see, you see players on the sidelines. You see, you know, we've been this ourselves, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. uh, definitely I have. Where you're standing there on the sidelines of a scene just thinking, okay, if we're in 2A now <laughs> and I bring back this character yeah. from uh, 1B yeah. into 2C <laughs> and that will like thread it really well and we'll be able to heighten that game. Yeah. No, man, that's, you're not, you do, you, if you're there, you're clearly not listening to your scene partners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not, you're not having fun with them. Yeah. But the reason we do this in workshops is so that, you know, you can get those reps up mm -hmm. and so that you hopefully don't have to think about it during the show. Yeah. And you build like the internal, the internal cogs that are, that are driving story and connections and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Do you know, I, do you know the, like the structure of sitcoms? Have you ever looked at, so I, I, you know, now once you know that, you can't ever look at sitcoms yeah. the same way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. So, but like, how lovely is it being innocent of that knowledge, mm -hmm. not having sitcoms ruined for you? For sure. Um, yeah. So when you're watching a Herald and then you see, oh, wait a second, there's, I'm supposed to understand that there's a structure. That's the fucking worst, man. You don't want to. And like, it, I think a, an improviser who, you know, the, we all go through the Uber, like trying to get good of it, good at it stage where you're, where you probably do go in, inward a lot. And we neglect that. Like if you're doing a show that is a Harold, it's still, it needs to be a good show before it's a perfect Harold. Oh yeah. And the guiding light. Oh. Yeah. should be the, the moment, the room, the, your team, the audience, all that sort of stuff. Oh, totally. I find that I'm grateful for the years I spent laboring over a Harold and I I know that when I scan through like my best shows with like a, a, my two prov or my um, little four person team or whatever we don't we don't do quote unquote Harold's but on purpose but we often find that like our best shows were Harold's right because like you just you yeah man, I, I, I'm I'm a big proponent of like the the skills that you learn the the show elements that you can take out of a Harold for sure are just so slick. I, my ensemble though, I was with in Toronto, it took us, like we we came out of, this is oh, fucking, I don't know, 500 years ago? <laughs> um, we came out of uh, like a Harold class together. The, most of us had, had gone through the conservatory at Second City. Uh -huh. We came out of a Harold class together and this, it was like just starting to proliferate. Yeah. yeah just starting, just starting to, get out there and we like try to do derivatives of it try to do expansions on it, and we we're like now why don't we just like stick to stick to the meat and potatoes and if we fuck around with it like in the middle of the show great we're, yeah. we're all confident enough that we can play with it yeah. but it, it was a good solid like six months before we had we we would have really fun shows and really great shows and we were like really on top of each other but then we had one show after six months where we were just like Oh fuck that that 
was it. Like, mm. and now we get it where all of the ideas that we had, there was nothing dropped. We were all in tune with one another. We were able to um, validate everyone's offers mm. that had been made. Um, and it was just a, a joy to behold, but also something that took so long yeah. to like, wrap our heads around and understand it's not, it's not the structure. You know, one looks at a fucking Frank Lloyd Wright and goes, man, the steel inside of the, the concrete must be beautiful. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like that's not, that's not what we, that's not what we do. No, no. I'd rather know just myself that like the, the mechanisms inside were a Harold and I don't want the, as we both have said, I don't want the audience to be trying to follow the structure more than they're trying to follow the show. And yeah, I think we definitely get lost in that. Cause I think also, I don't know what it's like at ITS, but like we have a. It's awful. <laughs> just generally awful. Um, <laughs> but we have a lot of, obviously a lot of improvisers who watch shows and I think their experience as an audience is different to the general public's experience as an audience. Oh, of course, of course. Yeah, it's the same. Like, you know, you go to any any really like any North American big improv city. Yeah. It, if you go to a an improv theater and see student shows in particular, there is like a. a collective vocabulary that mm. the gp the general population general public don't have mm -hmm. yeah and, and it, it's the same thing where like you can see people watching improv and like mapping it out yeah, in their yeah. brains yeah i remember when i when i was like at second city when i was coming in like i was watching uh bruce hunter who's a fucking legend he's like a like a canadian improv legend mm -hmm. There was a bunch of us from my class. I don't remember what the class was, but there's a bunch of us from my class watching him play. And he was just all over the shop. Hilarious, mm. but a total mess. <laughs> and we came back to class the next week and we were like, he did like, like a couple of us were asking our teacher about it because our teacher was also at the show. And we we're like, he, he did all these different things. So we don't have, he like didn't i wouldn't trust him i like i did mm. you know you we built these kind of basic boundaries around how we improvised and my teacher was just like he's bruce hunter <laughs> it, and he knows what he's doing which is totally right but also his big question was did it make the show funny and better uh-huh and we we're like yeah, yeah, it did. But the rules, man. <laughs> yeah. The, the, yeah. The, rule, the, simple, like, the simplicity of the rules, man. Mm. And, oh, it was, that was an eye-opening moment where it was just like, if, if the show was better, yeah. then we should have done it. Yeah. And that's, I don't know if you have this as a teacher, but definitely something that's something that I have as a teacher where, you know, that we have certain kinds of things that we try to teach and when we see students like going against that mm -hmm. but it works in a scene i don't know how to navigate that i i usually just shut the fuck up and like internalize it and yeah. just keep it myself yeah because that's i don't i 
for me to comment on it otherwise it would just be like hey that was hilarious <laughs> however <laughs> yeah according to like the textbook of kale yeah yeah um, yeah this is why it was you know technically wrong yeah and i think you do just need to internalize it i i certainly know that like there are so many times where as a teacher you're just like well fuck me i guess because that <laughs> fuck what yeah. i think because that was excellent and the whole room was laughing and like why should i step in right now and be like well the exercise was asking you to do this <laughs> and yeah 100 percent. yeah you know that's the that's the beginning of viola spolin's book is like that it's as much an experience for the teacher as it is for any of the participants. Yeah, yeah. And I've definitely made the mistake before of like of playing more to the improv students who are in the room in terms of like trying to be technically correct, especially if I know like students that I'm currently teaching in the room. I've been, you know, I've made the mistake of going, oh, I should do all the textbook things. And as a result, the show's no good. Um, yeah, right. Cause I, yeah, I made the mistake of thinking of not treating them. Like, I think you should just treat them like GP and make a good show, not a good improv show. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, there's like, there, you know, there's a lot of people in the improv community who wonder why we specifically call them improv theater shows. On one hand, I think there's a valid point to that, that you want to set up what audience expectations are. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, like a, if if it's good enough and tight enough, whether it's improvised or not, should be, um, you know, shouldn't be important for sure. I know this isn't a podcast on Harold specifically. Yeah, yeah, that's alright. <laughs> but but I when so we teach at it's we teach over eight week terms, and uh, I try to have the form of Harold done by week five latest week six so that in weeks six through eight that's all about getting the form wrong so that people's comfort with the structure isn't what they're reliant on that they're really reliant on you know the quintessential ideas of exploration and yeah and playing with their ensemble the first time I learned Harold, it was there was no structure. Like I learned it from Randy Dixon the first time, uh -huh. and um, he was just like, "Yeah, we're going to try to explore this idea." <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, and then, you know, a couple of years later, did Harold classes at I/O. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, "Oh, this is this is not what I remember about what Harold was." Um. So yeah. It's, it's a very different experience to go at it that way. Yeah. I remember when I learned it, it felt like I, I was, I, I might just be remembering the term wrong or I paid attention to only half of it, but I remembered like the structure and because of only knowing the structure, it felt like a fun little playground for me. And then as I worked more on it and began teaching it and stuff, I, like I've swung all the way to overcomplicating it you know, mm. talking about scene types and where those scene types might go and what a second beat scene would look like and how to do the right sort of pull from the first beat. And like, and I forgot that the way I learned it was just like, yeah, so it goes A1, B1, C1, then it's a group game, then it's A2, B2, C2, and then it's a group game. And then it's, and then it's like, I, and then I, we played. Yeah, and right. so I had to remind myself like, well, how about we just strip that all back? And now like we do, 
when we do week one of our heralds, uh, I tend to do like, this is what it is. Now let's do one. And then watch them just like, they all, first of all, they all go wide eyed and they're like, what? (laughs) Uh, but then they, you know, they fumble through it and they have fun, have fun. And they, they're all laughing. And then it's just like, you did it. You can do one. So now let's, now let's break it apart and, and look at its pieces. But don't yeah, forget yeah. the joy you had whilst doing that first. It's such a fucked up thing, hey? Like when they, what, what level do they do, Harold? Uh, like level four. Level four, right. Yeah. So by that time, you know, it, it's, I just had this conversation with someone who's on a house team and their life is um, very full at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they weren't sure if they could continue because they weren't in the right headspace. And I was just talking to them. They're also like a personal friend of mine. Yeah. I was talking to them. I'm like, do you remember when you came to level one, how much fun you had with level one, how like little pretense there was, mm. how little expectation there was on you getting things right mm. and how much actual focus there was on, on, on definitively getting things wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, it's such a shame that when we get to higher levels or when you're on a house team or when you like you're, I don't know, in, in a certain type of ensemble, yeah. there's an expectation that you have to get it right and you have to be professional about it. Um, and sometimes, which I'm not saying is a bad thing to have, you know, show up on time and be conscientious <laughs> yeah. of other people's commitments. For sure. Um, but uh, to the same end, like the idea that you can still fuck around mm-hmm. and you know just play for the pure silliness of it is something we sometimes tend to lose. Yeah, especially in processes like figuring out the the behemoth of the herald structure. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I don't care about the herald. I care about it you people and i want you people to care about each other yeah yeah yeah. so if and all of you are good enough that if we get it wrong then i want everybody to get it wrong and support the person who got it wrong and make that thing look right and as soon as i like gave them permission to be awful again like they get in level one yeah they're like all right we can oh who fucking cares and they were playing and It's such a it's such a weird thing to realize that you are allowed to have fun. <laughs> in yeah, I feel like yeah, every from that like level one grad show onwards, a student's and I did the same thing. Like a student's grasp gets tighter and tighter around it. It becomes more and more precious, and like every chance to perform is more and more sacred. And then it's like you really have to get through that like get over that hump of like, oh, actually I need to stop treating this like it's live or die. Yeah. hundred percent. Cause yeah, we, we all, I always noticed the, like our graduating classes, like level sixes, the pressure they feel of being like the last show on a student showcase night or whatever. They just think that they're supposed to be the absolute best of the day. And I'm, I'm like, it's almost certain you won't be because you're going to have the <laughs> least joy. <laughs> like the level ones are probably going to be the best cause they're, they're going wild up there. No care. Shitty thing to have to deal with that. With the, it's a shitty thing to have to deal with 
experience and increasing talent. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it like took me years to get to like have fun again. I, I don't, I think back now and I'm like, man, I was so miserable for so much of it. Like every show I'd really? hate myself for, like oh, wow. I'd leave it. And I don't like, I think back to it now and I'm like, I don't think I'd put my through, put myself through like every Wednesday fucking hating life. <laughs> I don't think I'd do that now. I can't believe I did that then. Yeah. It's such a, I don't, it, it is, it's such a good thing to remember as teachers. Yeah, for sure. Too, that it's not, you know, if they don't, <laughs> If they don't block a scene correctly or if they don't, <laughs> you know, emote yeah. in a certain way, the wheels aren't going to fall off yeah. improv. Yeah. And you mentioned the the students who want that um, personal feedback and often they want like, they ask for the hard note or whatever, the note they haven't been getting. And uh, there's a bit in, uh, you might've read it, you probably have, in Will Hines's book or maybe his old blog or whatever, where he was just like, the person who wants the hard note is really the person who can actually take it. And most of the time that note is just, you need to be a real person. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the best note. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had to learn. And uh, when I moved here from Toronto, we used to get in Toronto, we would get like super specific, super pointed feedback. Right. Um, from the, we had a couple of different directors, the ensembles that I was with and, uh, it was great. Like I loved it. And, I, but I was also, I don't know, this might be by virtue of growing up with a Jewish mother is that I was like, I was very easy in like taking the advice that worked for me and then saying thank you and walking off from what didn't. And maybe I need to, or maybe we need to explain that to students that like, look, I, what I'm saying, none of this is gospel. None of this is fun. I am one person amongst, you know, hundreds who are, who have opinions on this and not all of those opinions are the same. Um, so take what you want. If it works for you, great. If it doesn't, uh, you're not getting a refund. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, you're not. But that's, no. <laughs> that's not the point. Yeah. That's um, uh, but yeah, like I, I, I've seen that. Uh, maybe I need to express that more clearly. Yeah. Um, and you went, you mentioned also like the, when in your experience, not realizing that every note in the room potentially applicable to you, like when someone else is being spoken to. Um, and I think that's really important to note to students too. And I, I try to make a point of it is like, just because Kale's scene brought up something uh, and so I'm speaking to Kale about it, doesn't mean mm -hmm. it's not a note to everyone. Yeah. Like that's the whole point of it coming up now because Kale did something that helped me bring it up. So I'm, it's always like, yeah, important to note that like you shouldn't be tuning out because you're not, on the stage right now. Yeah, that's, that's super important. I agree with that entirely. I let, so the group game of Harold is such an interesting little beast. Yeah. For me. Yeah. Because I, I used to teach it structurally uh -huh. and, um, 
because that's how once upon a time that's how it was taught to me now i don't think that that's a good way because like the the essence of what group of what group games are just getting the ensemble back on the same page i don't know to, i think it's so much more constructive to find a an organic way to to do that and it's so weird to try to like organically structure something <laughs> yeah it doesn't work as in like you mean the structure of the group game itself yeah like when you're playing a structured group game yeah for sure yeah um that, yes. I, I don't know we we for a while where like we had structured group games and you would just see the same thing and it's like oh they're not they're not actually discovered they're just going they're just walking over this part of the structure for sure because yep. they they were told to yeah and that's something i think that's a mistake that we've been making um and right before this lockdown i actually it was on my mind to revise it because i i've been teaching level five consistently and in our level four we do like we do the group games of a of a herald like we put them in the structure but we just we give them like a stock like boardroom of idiots sort of group game or whatever just like mm -hmm. everyone get in here i've got a problem let's all one of one of us is weird the rest of us are not weird or the other way around and then in level five trying to break them out of that is borderline impossible <laughs> yeah right because they'll always go to that comfort of like if they don't know what to do they'll just go oh i'll just go do what they'll the the bit that i know gets me through this spot it's uh, that sucks i hate that yeah me too, yeah, me too. That. <laughs> that, like reliance that reliance on structure is the very thing about that that i detest but yeah carla richie there are are you know outgoing ad stuff then we had five levels and harold was the fourth level and Carlos stuffed in a new level before we did Harold. That was um, just the two-person scene. So we had like, same as you, level one is basic ensemble group mind intro stuff. Level two is um, character. Level three itself was like staging techniques, like right. how to be on stage. Yeah, cool. And, and little improv techniques. And then level four was Harold, but, but we saw that like specific pattern of play. We saw a pattern of play coming out and people kind of becoming, um, I guess, similar improvisers. Yeah. 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 So, which sucks. Yeah. You know, everybody comes in with their own voice mm -hmm. and, you know, acting schools get chastised because they break people down and turn them into these products of their own molds. Mm -hmm. but like, so we found ourselves doing that and that yeah. sucks. Yeah. So, so Carlos solution was introducing this straight up two person level. Yeah. Like a duologue level. Um, and that's really tilted how people have now approached Harold. Right. Like when they the Harold because they, they have a much more, thoughtful slow um less aggressive more organic right way of approaching it but then you still have those like spitfire you know clap happy people yep that are just like i'm gonna be fucking a wild gun tonight yeah and some is like i'm gonna sit in this yeah and just be your be the the weight to your balloon yeah yeah 
Um, and that, that shifted how our students experience Harold. Yeah. I think that's really smart. Yeah. It was, it was very clever. I still, we don't do well enough in like not focusing on structure though. Right. In my, well, I, cause the thing is when you say that, I'm, as you explain it, I kind of go like, that's, that's what my intention for that level four focus on the scene parts of Harold. Yeah. That's right. the intention of it. But because it's a Harold level, the students get so focused on the structure. For sure. Because that's yeah. where they're human and they're like, so, so I know you keep talking about these scenes, but what, but what I'm garnering is that I need to be good at this structure. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's, not, it's not fair. Yeah. Yeah. It's not fair to ask them to like do all those things. Yeah. So, I mean, like, yeah, we're constantly evolving and that just makes me go like, maybe I just need to take the, the structure out of that level just delay the herald <laughs> that's what that's what carla did for us yeah it, i i think it works it's uh having said that though it's it's like a it's a much more like where levels one two and three are real you know gp levels yeah our level four uses much more targeted acting language right yeah so you come you will come out of that level with much greater skills in acting. Yeah. Good. Um, in like portraying empathy, not portraying empathy, but having, having character it. empathy, yeah. like being a sociopath, like understanding <laughs> yeah, yeah. how to like Dexter, your empathy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's, but it, it, at the same time, it can be very hard for people and for some teachers too. Cause they're like, you're not, some people just don't get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's should be fine. Mm -hmm. They don't get it because hopefully they'll get something else that we weren't expecting them to get. Now for a practical nugget. What are they doing? So, so that that's always my my go-to is like to get out of anything internal to get out of any place of judgment it's always like looking at them on stage and seeing how you can play with that even if it's just just doing the same thing or just standing there being there for them and even if there's nobody on stage and that they is the audience what are they doing like that's one thing that clowns clown people who take clown education are really good at is like registering how audiences are and feel and using that to curate the direction of their show so yeah let's just look look outward i do i hate the advice that's like don't do this if anybody <laughs> says to you it like they, when people say get out of your head that's the fucking worst advice that's it's not going to help anybody but for for me personally the, the best way for me to start seeing is just always look at them because if you have a, if you have like a scene idea great if you got nothing also great somebody else will so just follow them even if they're looking at you like if you have nothing and your ensemble or scene partner also have nothing if you're looking at them and you think, oh, they got something. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. going to do that. 
then they're looking at you going, oh, they got something. Even though initially nobody had nothing. Mm. You just all built this thing up. Yeah, it's like a feedback loop of assumptions starts happening. It's like, yeah. I better catch up to what they're doing because yeah. they clearly know what they're doing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't, I don't have time to think about what's on in my head because they're gonna, yeah. not going to be able to support this bit of brilliance that <laughs> they don't know what they're doing. There it is, my friends. That was Kale Bain. What a legend. What a good time. Hope you took something from that. Uh, and if you liked uh, hearing from Kale, um, you can check out the Improv Theatre Sydney website. That's improvtheatresydney.com.au. Uh, they have plenty of workshops, plenty of other content. Uh, they have shows if you're in Sydney. They have workshops if you're in Sydney. They often do uh, uh, courses online. Uh, and they also do its rants and things like that. If you check them out on YouTube and on their Facebook pages and all that sort of stuff, they got content coming out their ears. And uh, I'm pretty sure uh, in the near future, they'll be having a uh, fundraiser that you should keep your eye out for. Once again, my thanks to Kale. Thank you, Kale. And my thanks to the producers of this podcast, Tiana Hogben and Josh Chodzizna. The show is recorded and edited by me and supported by those two legends and supported by you. Thank you for listening and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Improv Conspiracy Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love for you to take a moment to rate and review us on your preferred service. Five stars, thank you. We've got heaps of original sketch comedy on our YouTube page. Subscribe at youtube.com slash improvconspiracy. 